Raise your right hand and repeat after me. I say your name. You solemnly swear. To support and defend. The Constitution of the United States. Against all enemies. Foreign and domestic. And to bear true faith. And allegiance to the same. Then I will obey. The orders of. The President of the United States. And the orders of. Those officers. Appointed over me. According to regulations. And the Uniform Code of Military Justice. So help me God. Listeners, thank you for tuning in to another episode of the American Vet Podcast. I have uh, the the pleasure to be sitting here with uh, Toby. Toby is an Army chaplain who served from 1966 to 1993. He has been with eight different commands on three deployments. He was awarded the Legion of Merit, Meritorious Service Medal, and Southwest Asia Service Medal. And now he is a chaplain and the author of Proof Through the Night, which is a supernatural thriller. And one of the biggest thing is Toby actually was the, oh man, I can't think of the word, the guy that uh, married me and my wife. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I can't remember. The, <laughs> uh, officiated I our medic. I, I, I officiated at your yep. wedding, and it was a pleasure and an honor. Oh, yeah. You know, almost... You know, going on eight years ago now, when we got married. Yeah. So, Toby, how are you doing tonight, or today? I am doing excellent. Yep. Uh, health is good. The, the activities in my life are good. And uh, just, you know, a little bit uh, concerned, I guess is the right word, about the whole place we're in uh, with yep. the United States of America. A little concerned about the whole situation. Yep. Yeah, it's definitely different times, and I think it's really, you know, testing our abilities to really work through everything. Exactly. Yeah. So, Toby, uh, you know, tell my listeners, and um, you know, why what made you join the the army back in nineteen sixty six? Yeah, uh, that's a, an interesting question, and um, <clears throat> part of the answer is I don't know. I, I'm not sure if anybody knows exactly what motivates especially a 17-year-old high school graduate, you know, I mean, so so I look back and I look at, uh, you know, the life that, that I was uh, enjoying, uh, born in 1948, so just a couple of years after World War II, and everybody in my world, adult-wise, was either a veteran or a family member of a veteran or in some kind of support capacity. So there was this huge, you know, sense of victory for the United States of America. And also, really, that's when we stepped into the world as, as a world power because right. of that immense industrial buildup, you know, for World War II. I, I looked at some of the figures and just how many warships and planes and tanks and everything they, they were able to crank out in such a short period of time. So there was a, a very positive, very positive uh, framework uh culturally and then in my little world you know uh my father had been a captain in the engineers in world war ii uh, just a short period of time for about five or six years and he got out he was a civil engineer 
Yeah, we lived in a small house, you know, in a lakeside community in Connecticut, and an older brother, and and not consciously. I mean, nobody sat me down and says, "Hey, here's what a patriot is." You know, here here's what you're supposed to do to be an American. But you had the uh, you were watching people, and by experience and almost by intuition, you're gathering all this data. You know, right? Uh, one of the high points in our little town of Burlington, Connecticut. Uh, a rural town outside of Hartford was the Memorial Day Parade. And, um, you know, so I started marching in that thing when I was six because my brother was a Cub Scout. My mother was a den mother. So they dragged me out there, you know, marching in the parade. And so my dad's dressed up in his World War II uniform with all his buddies, you know, American Legion buddies. Right. And they're setting up the sound system and, and then the parade. And, uh, you know, American Legion and veterans from World War One and World War Two, And so you get this sense, you know, of, of what the country is and, yeah. and, and uh, what we're supposed to be. And then, of course, in school in those days, the first thing that happened was you, you said the Pledge of Allegiance to the American flag. You said the Lord's Prayer, and then you sang a patriotic song, and you sat down. Right. And, and when you got up, you pushed your chair under your desk. You know? <laughs> or, and so a lot of discipline, uh, just kind of organic. You know, nobody was making a big deal about it. Right. So um, at some point, um, school kids were introduced to the fact that, uh, you know, America is in competition with the Soviet Union and communism is bad. You know, it's just probably somewhat uh brainwashing or or whatever but uh and that and that communism refuses to acknowledge you know religion christianity and so forth right uh so so that was probably some of the motivation of course i'm in the boy scouts and the leader in the boy scouts eagle scouts and all that so that's another layer of this patriotism so uh it got in my mind to try to attend a military academy. So I applied for uh, the Coast Guard Academy and the U.S. Military Academy at West Point in my junior year. And um, I was accepted at both and made a decision to go to West Point. I was uh, nominated by a congressman in uh, Connecticut. His name was Grabowski, and I am forever grateful for that nomination. So four years at West Point, Whatever patriotism you walked in with, it got solidified yeah. and um, encouraged and embedded, really. You know, you're 17 years old to 21 years old in that formative moment of your life, you know, you're surrounded by the whole idea and the ideals, Yeah, you know, that uh, what America was established for. And uh, it, it just, I mean, you're immersed. There's, yeah. you know, twenty four seven. You're you belong to a military organization. You know, you're in a squad, platoon, company, yeah. battalion, regiment, brigade. All of that four years of an academic and a military experience. So, so there you go. And but my focus was always on the Soviet Union. I took Russian language, yep. uh, Russian culture, um, and uh, of course Vietnam was picking up then. And by about 68, 69, it had escalated 
and they kept ramping up, you know, adding 10,000, 20,000, and so forth. Yeah. So we graduated 750 or so men from West Point. I think about 100 of us went to Vietnam, but I asked to go to Europe just because of that background I had. Yep. So that's what, that was my first assignment, Third Army Division in Germany. Okay. You know, second lieutenant, infantry platoon leader, had a couple of armored personnel carriers, bunch of ammo, bunch of weapons, and we had a mission, yep. you know, to defend against uh, East Germany, Soviet Union, and the Warsaw Pact. So that was my first, uh, that's how I, that's, that's how it all started. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I mean, that's, uh, you, know, you know, you always hear about, you know, the stories from West Point and stuff like that. And absolutely, you know, a lot of great men came out of there. And I'm glad that you were experienced, you experienced that. And then you went to Germany and that sounded like, uh, you know, like, um, kind of like you were, wasn't really forced, but you were, you definitely were destined to do everything. You know, you're talking about going, you know, as a young kid going through marches and stuff like that and stuff mm -hmm. like that. Well, it was it was a, a four years of high stress. I mean, they always yep. piled more logs on your wheelbarrow than you could push. So you you, you learn that you know that okay, I I can't do everything at a hundred percent, but I'm gonna you know. So you're always keeping a lot of balls in the air. You have a lot of emphasis on the academic. Okay. Uh, the amount of hours of academics was um, substantially more than most other liberal arts schools. Uh, high um stress and high priority on physical fitness and athletics and then of course the military side of it yep. and uh, then there's all all sorts of other kind of uh ancillary uh, activities but so um uh at that time and they've changed a little bit over time the, the philosophy was we're going to um the selection process had to do with attrition Okay. You know, and, and, and so in the first two months, which was like they used to call beast barracks, kind of like basic training, we lost a lot of the entry people. They just, they realized, you know, what this was all about. Yeah. And then for the next four years of academics, and of course you're going all year round. Right. You know, you get a, a, a summer break, but it's a 12-month uh, activity, 12-month program. Um, you know, you lose some guys for academics, you lose some people for um, health and injuries, and then you lose some people for honor violations. Okay. And the honor system was very rigid and very um, ingrained in everybody. It's essentially, a cadet will not lie, cheat, or steal, or tolerate anyone who does. Right. And that's pretty, I mean, I mean, you know, cheating and stealing, you know, okay, uh, not too difficult to avoid, but, you know, little lies here and there. Uh, they creep up, so you have to catch yourself, and you're constantly. After a couple of years, it becomes you know more uh, organic. But I mean, everything you say has to be the truth. Yeah. And then if you catch yourself and you correct yourself, that's okay, you know, type of thing. Yeah. So, um, so that was the culture, uh, you know, that that you're that you that develops you, and then um, I think to me right now. I mean, I appreciate the experience. I appreciate the education yep. and the training. But the biggest thing right now, I mean, it's been 50 plus years since I graduated, 1970. Yeah. And I have um, a, a, a group of 
very, very close friends still. Wow. You know, and that's so valuable. I mean, you know, we went through that common experience. Most of us went through airborne school and ranger school and then had at least, you're, you're required to have a five-year commitment. So yep. uh, I had a 23-year uh, career after I graduated. But but so there's a lot of common experience and a common <laughs> understanding. So so many of these guys, you know, I'm guessing right now maybe 30 or 40, 50 guys that I can call up anytime or email anytime and and get together. We get Zoom meetings all the time. So it's yeah. so valuable you know, to have that for so long. And, of course, at this point in my life, um, I think of the 750 that graduated, we've lost around 80 of them. Hmm. And uh, I've actually done some studies, and that's lower than the uh, – death rate for the population by quite a bit, which is interesting right. because you think we're going into a, a career that has, you know, some high risk to it. But uh, for some reason or other, we're, we're actually sustaining a little bit better than the actual average. So, so that's kind of the context of, um, of that. Uh, so I had that tour in Germany and then I came back to the States and I was assigned to the 10th Special Forces Group, which was a fabulous tour for me. Okay. Um, and our focus was was uh, on Europe and in uh, Russia. That was the the general mission for the tenth group. And uh, so again, a, a tremendous bunch of of warriors and the special forces. And I got out for a while. And when I came back in uh, after a break of about four years in service, I was assigned to the recruiting command, and then special forces again. And this was the twelfth special forces group. Okay. Uh, with the headquarters in Chicago, and they were spread out all over from from Little Rock to actually they were in California. They're all over the United States, uh, west of the Mississippi. The, this whole twelfth Special Forces group, and I was a battalion off, uh, operations officer and later battalion commander. That was a great tour because these reservists, all of them were prior service, many of them Vietnam vets, but they also had this other. You know, like a lot of them were cops or ATF guys or FBI guys. So they brought in a, a, a amazing skill set and experience set. And again, our um, general war mission was Soviet Union. In fact, uh, our battalion and a couple of our companies were supposed to get dropped in behind the line. So, yep. so that was a great tour. And then later on, I was assigned to the 3rd United States Army which was the deploying headquarters for the Gulf War. So I had a, a tour, um, a couple of deployments over there to Kuwait. <clears throat> and, and then <laughs> on top of that, which was very, very busy, this is a, it was in Atlanta, Georgia, a very, very busy, high tempo, uh, three-star general headquarters. Because okay. we had stuff going on in Kuwait. We had stuff going on in Saudi Arabia. Then all of a sudden, uh, Operation Provide Comfort stands up for Somalia because that was in our area of operation. So we were that, that layered on top of everything else. So it was a very high tempo, busy time. Uh, and I worked for a, a fabulous general officer named Jim Ellis. And uh, so and then uh, my, my 20 years, actually 23 years because of my reserve break yep. uh, came up and I, I had a calling to go into the to a pastoral ministry. So uh, that was a whole change of life and change of perspective <laughs> when I got out. Yeah. 
Oh, absolutely. And I got to, and I got to say, um, you know, I, what you do as, as a chaplain and everything else is, is, is phenomenal in my eyes. You do an excellent job with it. You're very respectful and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, it's, it's not easy nowadays to be, you know, as a chaplain and stuff like that nowadays. Well, you're right, Dave. Um, and so I've got this 72 year experience. So like you say, growing out, yep. everybody had, a, everybody went to church or at least said they did. Right. <laughs> you know, I mean, like when you signed up for school, you put your name and address, but you also put what church you belong to. Yep. You know, whatever, because your parents were somehow affiliated with a church. Yep. You know, Catholic, Episcopal, Methodist, uh, Presbyterian, Lutheran, Evangelical, whatever it was, Baptist, you were affiliated with the church, and it was just understood. Yeah. And and so you're talking about the 50s. And then very slowly, but effectively, the American culture uh, separated itself from that foundation. Yeah. And um, so... Now it's very popular to say, "Well, I'm I'm not affiliated with any church." It's very popular to say, "Well, yeah, I'm, I've I've got a spirituality, but in terms of actual Christianity or Jewish faith or Muslim faith or Hindu faith, I'm not that interested." Right. So that's kind of where we are, and in my mind, I'm fine with it. I mean, you 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 accept the hand that you're dealt, and you right. play the hand you're dealt. Absolutely. So so I had. About 20 years of pastoral ministry, I planted a church in Southwick, and it's still doing fine. Uh, they've got, I was there seven years, and the current pastor is doing great. Yep. Uh, it's right on College Highway, just before you get into uh, Granby, and um, Super Church. And then uh, I took a little break from pastoral ministry, and then I was uh, helping out with the Huntington Church, Pioneer Valley Assembly yep. of God. And uh, as a result of helping them out, eventually they asked me to come on board as their pastor. So I was there for about eight years. And that was such a cool church. Still is a cool church. Um, I mean, first of all, Huntington is, it's not at the center of the world. No. (laughs) (laughs) You know, you got to know where Huntington is in order to get there. And then once you get to the center of Huntington, which is, you know, remote enough, to get to this church, you kind of take this weird left-hand angle turn down along the river, and you follow this old river road, and there's this beautiful church with, yep. I don't know, 10 or 12 acres back up into the woods where people do a lot of hunting and fishing. Yep. And there it is. And yet, people were very faithful to that church, very devoted. And um, we were also the regional food pantry. Yep. And that actually became uh, quite a, an important uh, organization for all, all the whole Pioneer Valley, really. So that was a great, great time. Uh, I enjoyed Huntington. I enjoyed, you know, the small town. Yeah. Being in a small town is just so great. Yeah. I mean, you got to behave yourself or, or you, <laughs> you either have to behave yourself or not care. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, in small <laughs> towns. what people think about you. And we had all kinds. Yeah. And I was on the fire department there, and I got asked, Actually, I started by being the chaplain for the Huntington Fire Department. Yep. Then uh, the, the chief, um, Chief Dayhill, said, well, you know, we're kind of short with firefighters. 
you want to uh, be trained and become a firefighter? I said, sure. Yep. And I was in my late 50s or so, but no problem. So uh, I went through the firefighter training. And uh, so I was both a, a, a chaplain and a firefighter. Yep. Great experience. Yep. And we that's... had some, some, some really uh, some good work. A lot of it was um, responding to medical issues. Yep. And we had a couple of major fires. And so yep. and then uh, I retired from the pulpit in uh, 2013. So now I've got this combination of a of a combat military veteran on one hand, and then uh, a preacher on the other hand. Yes. And so that's where the book came in. I, I always liked to write, and uh, so I had some time and I had some ideas, and so I put together this book, Proof Through the Night, and it was published by one of the imprints of Harper Collins uh, Christian Publishing, which is kind of a big house and um what i was trying to get at and i i think I, I was successful at it what i was trying to get at was um um there is a spiritual realm yeah it's out there um and then we have this earthly realm that we can see touch feel and hear and be involved with yep and so I was I, I created these characters who had a connection with the spiritual realm, where you have angels and demons at war with each other, and they're 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 imposing their influence, both the angels and demons imposing their influence on the um, activities of men and women, and and so that's kind of the basis of of the story. And then um, I've got this. Uh, ranger veteran who shows up and uh and they need him because eventually this war in the heavenly places becomes a battle on the ground yep. and so i've got a fairly detailed description of uh setting out claymores and making battle positions and and uh and they had a uh they had a um uh, withdrawal strategy very similar to verdun and I was kind of using that as somewhat of a model where where we had this uh, this group of uh, Christians who were battling this demonic giants and so forth. And so so they had a plan where, you know, we will give up the territory, but we're going to preserve, you know, the health and the safety of our soldiers. So, right. so that kind of worked out and they had a, a an escape by sea. And uh, so um, I was really. Enjoy. I, I enjoyed every minute of of creating it, of editing it, of getting it published, and even uh, getting it out there. And, and if people are enjoying it, I just had a a reader uh, text me, and he says, "I don't know if you ever heard of Frank Peretti, but he was the one that um, he wrote this uh, Left Behind series that was really popular in the '90s." He says it's it's where Frank Peretti meets. Um, Tom Clancy, you know, <laughs> which is kind of, the only Perfect. criticism I got, and I, I've had very positive reviews and it was valid to a point, but, but this lady said, uh, I didn't get all the military, um, references. Okay. And it's true, you know, and, and so if you're not at least somewhat familiar, you know, or at least interested yeah. in, in a military tactic, it, it probably, you probably lose interest yeah. in that part of it. But yeah, so it was kind of like, you know, putting together uh, a military life yep. with a pastoral life 
you know, and in uh, in a, a novel. And I've got another one coming out, and it's 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 just taking me forever. Uh, it's I'm kind of chipping away at it. I've got about seventy five percent done. Okay. So hopefully that will come out somewhere in the spring or the summer of this year. It's a it's a sequel to the same same people. So yeah. Oh, awesome. Yeah, well, I'm very I'm intrigued. <laughs> <laughs> so you know, I wanted to go back. Um, just you know, tell the tell the listeners uh, when you were on the fire department in Huntington, that's how we ended up meeting and whatnot. And that's how, you know, I met my wife now and, and whatnot. Um, and, you know, having you as a chaplain on that fire department was huge. Um, I can't speak enough good about you and what you do on a day-to-day basis. And just your overall demeanor and spirit is, is, is absolutely phenomenal. But I want to ask you, do you think being, uh, you know, SF helped you with being a chaplain? Oh, yeah. 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 Um, I mean, when, you know, when you're in the military, there are chaplains around. Yeah. And um, I've had good ones, and I've had ones that are just kind of like over there, you yeah. know. Spinning so, their wheels. Um, I had a lot of respect for some of the chaplains I had, and some of them it just didn't have much of a connection. So I think... Um, Having a military background, uh, you know, in, in, in the infantry, I was an infantry officer and an SF officer. So having that as a background, as because people assumed that I was an Army chaplain. You know, right. Oh, you must have been a chaplain in the Army. Uh, having that other uh, element, I think, um, lets me um, kind of step back and say, I know how people perceive me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, and uh, so what has happened is I... I Four years ago, I got a great assignment to the Chelsea Soldier Home uh, as their Protestant chaplain. So there's a great marriage there of a military background and a pastoral background. Yeah. And so I'm I'm sensitive to the guys that really don't want anything to do with me. I get that, you know, and and I'm I'm there for them. I'm certainly polite and civil with them, and and always have a smile for them. But I'm not going to sit down and say, "Hey, you got to listen to me." Right. But then there are those who are interested. You know, they they come around and they talk to me and they come to the different meetings that I hold and so forth. So, yeah, I think they having a background as a, a, a combat infantryman in special forces, you know, makes me more um, aware of right. how people perceive a chaplain as opposed to most of these guys come out of the seminary, yeah. you know, and, and they're great. And they go through their chaplain training and then they go to a unit someplace. And um, they probably have a perception of what, you know, what, what they're, what, what they're supposed to look like. Yep. But ha- having been on the other side of it, so to speak, and especially, I wasn't the most well-behaved infantryman all the time either. So <laughs> I, I kind of get that too. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, uh, yeah. I mean, like you said, you know, I've I've seen a couple chaplains in uh, my time in the Marine Corps and. They were absolutely just, they're spinning their wheels and kind of um, just doing the day-to-day stuff and not really helping where needed. And it's nice, and I'm not saying that, you know, all the chaplains in service are, are bad, um, but it's just nice to see that, you know, someone like yourself, you know, being, you know, after getting out and becoming a chaplain and everything else. And I think, like I said, you know, I think the uh, being the SF kind of helped you out tremendously yeah. for that. Um. Okay, so 
now you 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 get out of the army and uh walk me through like going through and getting your uh what is it ministry yeah yeah well so what happened was um uh somewhere along the line my wife Linda and I connected with the uh denomination called Assemblies of God okay and we just liked them because uh they were they were focused on the Bible without a lot of um, layers of doctrine on top of it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Just, okay, here's what the Bible says. Let's go with that. So we like that. Uh, so um, everywhere I was stationed uh, in the States, uh, we found a church that was affiliated with the Assemblies of God. Had some great pastors along the line. So somewhere in there, and I can't pinpoint, uh, I felt the calling, you know, to go into ministry. So when I retired in uh, 1993, I went back home to my town in Burlington, Connecticut. Um, my dad had passed away and my mother was by herself and we felt like she needed some help. So we, we uh, joined this church that was nearby uh, that town in Bristol, Connecticut. And um, uh, the way the Assemblies of God works is... Um, they have a lot of paths to becoming ordained. Okay. And so I became kind of a volunteer assistant with this uh, church in Bristol. And meanwhile, <clears throat> I was taking uh, correspondence courses, uh, which are very intense with that group uh, uh, over the course of, I think it took uh, four or five years to complete the education. And then you have kind of an internship, you know, uh, with, uh, working with another senior pastor, and then uh, you have to make an application, of course, and they have a government, and uh, they're, um, uh, the, the district that I belong to was southern New England, which is Massachusetts, Connecticut, Rhode Island. So the officials there put you through uh, various uh, tests and screens and interviews and so forth, and with the education uh eventually um i became ordained i think it was 2005 and uh i i had heard about church planting so when i was in this church in bristol i was talking to the pastor about that and he was he was all for it he says all right he says maybe that's where you want to go so um uh it turned out that the district headquarters had targeted this one town southwick Massachusetts, which is right on the Connecticut border. Yep. And uh, so uh, through a, a, a number of steps that are probably way too detailed for a conversation <laughs> like this, uh, we, we just started it. My wife and I moved up there and started gathering some people, and those people gathered some more people. Eventually, we, we built a building and have a church. And so that was, um, that was a really interesting entrepreneurial type of way to get into it yeah and i was the pastor the founding pastor of that church for like i say for seven years so that's that was more or less the path you know um and everything in terms of uh the the, the mental process and the spiritual process it was very very prayerful in other words yeah. daily hourly you know just just checking in because uh we were kind of like off the map you know it wasn't a real conventional way to get into ministry <clears throat> so i was checking in with the lord yeah 
you know, saying, how's this, how's this look to you? You know, how are we doing? <laughs> type of thing. And, uh, and I was very fortunate. Now my kids had already, they were young adults by this time. So we were empty nesters, retired from the military with, you know, a little bit of a check coming in. So, yeah. so in terms of, um, our resources and our lifestyle, we were in a pretty good position, you know, to be able to do that. And my wife, absolutely super. I mean, talking about a military wife who uh, really was instrumental in raising the children. Uh, there were times where I was gone and she had to sell a house, you know, by herself and then move the family and buy a house in a new place. So uh, very, very wonderful woman that I married and very prayerful, very spiritual person. So all of that worked together to allow us to uh, plant a successful church. Yeah. So that was that was kind of the path. Uh, I know different denominations have different, uh, you know, ways to do it, but but this worked out very well for us. Yeah, absolutely. So now that you've been, you know, you've been a chaplain since 2005, you know, what what motivates you today and like what really gets your spirits up when you see like, I don't know, like a transition of somebody or something like, like what really motivates you nowadays? Yeah. Yeah. That's a good question. Um, what motivates me today? Well, I'm sure the spirit of God, you know, right. is the primary thing. And there's also this patriotic spirit that, that just keeps uh, welling up. Um, I spend probably too much time with the American Legion. <laughs> uh, we, I, I live in a very small town outside of Boston. It's called Nahant. Yep. And Nahant is really, it's, a, it's an island town that's connected to the mainland with a causeway it's about a mile and a half causeway so it's not exactly an island but it's surrounded by water the beautiful little town that we found and the american legion post here is is pretty good for a small town i mean we got 81 members and about you know how it is about 20 of us are active and um so so i spend a lot of time with that so there's this there's this sort of uh intuitive or subconscious almost patriotic sense yep. that you have that drives you to to the activities that you get involved with and then there's also the spiritual side now what's interesting uh we there's there's a activity that comes out of washington dc called the wall that heals you put maybe you've heard about it and it's uh it's organized by the vietnam veterans um they call it monetary fund okay uh, uh vietnam veterans memorial fund i'm sorry vietnam yeah. veterans memorial fund vvmf and they're the ones that run the the wall down there in washington dc so they put together this uh replica that's 325 feet long 29 feet wide high and it's the exact replica of the wall with all fifty-eight thousand plus names on it so one of our guys in Elite said, let's try to get that in the hunt. Okay. And we go, okay, you know, what are the chances? Well, we got accepted. Oh. We got accepted for last year, 2020, but because of the uh, pandemic, uh, they canceled the tour. So now we're on board for it again this year. And so they asked me to be the chairman of this committee, and uh, it's called the Wall that Heals. And so, you know, prior to all of this recent, you know, riots, pandemic, election, all this kind of stuff that's going on, it was it was more of a healing for 
veterans and for veterans' families. And, you know, but now, you know, uh, it's looked upon as, as, as coming together. It's a focal point for people, whatever your political or ideological sense is. You know, th- th- this is a place that people can agree on, that right. we have had heroes uh, that have uh, accepted the call. They, they went to a foreign country. They fought for their country, yep. and they died there. And now, really, they're, they're like my age. They're, yeah. Most of those veterans are between, I think the youngest you can be is about 68 years old, the way we looked at it. So, so it's really their children, their wives, their husbands, their grandkids, but also all veterans, yep. all veterans' families, <laughs> and then all Americans. You know, so it gives us a focal point to say, okay, I get it. Yeah. And, and, and you, can, you can walk to the wall, you can touch it, you can feel the names. You can take a piece of paper and, you know, make a uh, stencil of it just like on the wall. And so that's coming to our town in in July. So what makes, what you know, in fact, a guy asked me the same question, Dave, that you asked. What what motivated you to get behind this? Yeah. And I kind of gave him the same general, you know, answer that I have a, a, a sense of, a deep sense of patriotism and some deeply held Christian beliefs, and all of that together says, you know, let's do this. And it's not easy. I mean, there's no. a, there's fundraising, there's marketing, there's uh, education piece, there's convoys, yep. there's uh, organization of traffic, parking, all this kind of stuff. Yep. So anyway, um, yeah, that, that's, that's what it comes down to. I guess patriotism mixed with uh, my religious beliefs. Well, well that's a... Uh... You know, maybe I'll, because uh, me and my wife aren't aren't really too far away from you still. So maybe out in July, maybe we'll come out there. We'll get to see you, and then uh, hey, maybe we'll talk. Yeah, I'll actually, yeah, because I made I made the drive recently because uh, they asked me to preach out at the church in Huntington a while back. So it's about a what two hour drive or so to Boston. Yeah. You know, yep. so and by the way, yep. it's a beach community. So you know. <laughs> Check out the wall. Have a day at the beach. <laughs> yeah, yeah. My daughter would like the, like the beach idea, but how yeah. old is your daughter? She's five now. Well, she's going to be six oh, in two months. Oh, yeah, six oh, in two months. Awesome. Oh yeah, it's awesome. But uh, every now and then she uh, she acts like she's sixteen. She definitely runs the house, but <laughs> of course, <laughs> of course, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely out in July. I mean, like I said, you know, I'm sure we'll we'll keep in contact, and I'll bring my grandfather uh, out there. You know, he's a uh, I'll keep you up to date. Of course, there's always the possibility that it may have to get canceled again. Yep. Dave, we're, we're, we're in an unknown situation. Absolutely, yeah. You know, I mean, from month to month, you're not quite sure what the restrictions are going to be, you know, what, what's going to happen with the yep. vaccine and all that. It's, it's uh, You have to have a foundation that's not based on what's going on in the world. Right. Yeah. You know what I mean? You, you really do. Because if, if everything is focused toward just, you know, going to the store, going to work, going to the restaurant, going to movies. You know, it's it's uh, it's not happening now. So you have to have a more basic foundation, I think, to really stay uh, grounded. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Because now, like, a lot of churches now are going virtual, too, yeah. just, just on their Sunday um, gatherings and stuff like that. So, right. I mean, that's got to be, you know, I guess it's nice for some people would like it because now they don't have to leave the house. On, yeah. But, I mean... There's got to be some type of 
I don't know, I guess fulfillment is what I'm looking at is like when you're, when you're talking in front of all these people and, and yeah, there's, there's a, a tremendous benefit to being in the same room with people Yeah, and being able to shake hands with a guy or give a hug to somebody, you know, and that's part of church, you know, the, yeah. the, 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 uh, the gathering. Uh, so like at the soldier's home, uh, before the pandemic, we had a Sunday service and so there's wheelchair, wheelchair patients and also just regular um, residents that yep. live there independently. And so we would gather, and then we'd have a couple of meetings during the week for Bible study or just small groups and support groups and stuff. And so all that's canceled. Yep. And um, I, I uh, have a, a YouTube channel. It's called uh, Chelsea Soldier Home, so C-S-H Chapel. CSH Chapel is the uh, YouTube channel. And so every Sunday, my wife and I put together a message, you know, uh, encouraging a Bible message that will encourage them in their lives. And uh, I'm able to uh, deliver that by text or by emails. But, you know, a lot of the guys and ladies at the soldier's home are in their older years and they're, they're just not that comfortable. Right. You know, with an iPad or with a computer and everything. So I have, I got about eight of them that can receive it. And I ask them to share it with the other people. So it's just, it's not the same. Right. It's just not the same, you know, but um, these people at the soldier's home, it's tough because first of all, you have a, a long-term care facility where bedridden or a wheelchair and some of them have uh, some mental issues. So, and they have not been able to get visitors. Right. It's just, and then you have the independent living guys who are just like you and me. I mean, they have jobs, you know, and yep. but they have chosen to live there, uh, because, usually because of financial reasons, and they have been locked down since uh, March. Yeah, on campus, they can't leave. You yeah. know, yeah, exactly. and and so you have a, a wide spectrum of response to that. Some are just griping all the time, but you know what? They were griping before anyway. Yeah, and then you got other guys who are just making the best of it. You know, they figure it out. You know, yeah. they they find ways to stay entertained and to to uh, you know stay busy and stay like you say fulfilled and functional. So uh, it's been it's been a challenge. Now, I'm allowed to go, uh, but my wife isn't. She yeah. before the pandemic, she was with me every single day I was there. She was with me helping out, and they they really like her. Yeah, like they love her. They sort of put up with me but they really like the wife you know <laughs> so uh so she can't go so that's that's a negative and then um but you know they're all veterans yeah. which i think plays in you know because they get it they've been in situations that were not the best especially you know, basic training or some of their deployments and so they kind of get it but yeah. still it's 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 not it's not the easiest uh situation for them no, absolutely. No. And, you know, even me, I'm, you know, I'm only 37 or whatever. And beginning of the year, I got furloughed too because of COVID-19. But uh, fortunately, unfortunately, I broke my wrist on my dirt bike. So when I was furloughed, I couldn't do anything anyways because I ended up getting a plate and eight screws in my wrist. So that actually kind of kept me from really going insane of not being able to do anything. Because yeah. I yeah. had, you know, if I didn't break a wrist, I would really lost would have lost my mind sitting at home right. all day every day that's um, interesting yeah 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 and i think you you know i think you're right though i mean like 
you know, the people in the, the soldiers' homes are all veterans, so they're all going to be there. They're going to help each other. They're going to talk to each other. You know, yeah. they've all been through some stuff, but um, I'm glad to find that you're still finding a way to reach out to them and, and give yeah. them the words of uh, encouragement. Right. But going back to your other point about the, um, <clears throat> the priority of ministry, Yep. You know, versus how we were 50 or 100 years ago. Um, the chapel is not looked at as an essential activity. Right. And I get that. I mean, because, you know, to in their minds, you know, you've got obviously the medical stuff, the nurses and the doctors and the taking care of those who are in the hospital. Yeah. And then the next, you know, layer would be safety, you know, to make sure the guys are, are Bed and, and provided with their basic uh, needs and everything, and yep. and then providing some sort of outlet. I mean, they've got televisions, computers, and so forth, and some entertainment. Uh, and then, oh yeah, the chapel. <laughs> <laughs> now, let me tell you a quick story yep, before we uh, sign off. Um, my first chaplain when I went over to Germany, he was fantastic. His name was Father Patrick Healy, and um, so. At the time, I was Catholic, and so I kind of befriended him. Turns out he was a fabulous athlete. Now, I didn't realize it at the time. He was 50 years old, wow. and I was 21, 22. And a couple of my compadres from school, like uh, I had a buddy, Dave Young, who was the captain of the hockey team. So I had some really, you know, athletic guys. And so Father Healy and a couple of us would sneak off to a nearby post because they had a handball court there. Okay. And this guy Healy, he could hold, he could do a lot better than hold his own against some younger guys. I mean, you, you, we played cutthroat, you know, two against one, and then we switch around, and he won almost every game. Fabulous guy, got to be good friends, you know. He'd stop over. We had on base housing in this little uh, post that we were at near Frankfurt, and he'd stop in the house, and we'd visit with him, and he got to know our family. My my daughter, who is going to be fifty this year. She was a little baby at the time. Yep. So anyway, I get to the Chelsea Soldiers' Home, and I'm uh, looking at applying to be the Protestant chaplain there. Dave, guess who the Catholic chaplain is? Yeah. <laughs> wow. Father Patrick Healy. Same guy. Right? Wow. It was amazing. Now, he's going to be 100 this summer. Wow. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> he was 50 then. It was 50 years ago. Yeah, yeah so, I can... Um, but he's he's he his vision is not good, but everything else. I mean, he's always he does his mass every day. He walks around. He's physically, uh, you know, capable and everything is amazing, yep. amazing guy and a good friend. You know, we get together a lot. So um, but he. He is less put it this way. <laughs> he's less acceptance ex, or is this accepting of these restrictions? Okay. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I'm a little hesitant. You know, I think the First Amendment says we're supposed to have church and all that, but I get it. I kind of yep. get it. You know, yep. he he doesn't want to get it. <laughs> so he I mean, he uh, has this very strong convictions about hey, you know, I'm supposed to have mass here for these people, and what's going on? Because they they have shut us down. Right. So, uh, and I love him. I mean, he he's 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 right. You know, and where he's coming from, but. Uh, yeah, what an amazing coincidence uh, to work with a guy, and what a mentor he is. I mean, uh, you, you can sit and just listen to him for hours and hours, and I, I just hope I have, you know, 
a few more years with him. You know, oh, he's absolutely. a terrific, terrific guy. And he was one of those chaplains, Dave, that, you know, you admired. He was a Vietnam vet. He had two tours in Vietnam. And and uh, he was uh, he's just the kind of guy that was yeah. a perfect uh, model, you know, for what a military chaplain's supposed to be. Yeah. Oh, perfect. And, yeah. Um, so if you were to have to, if you were to have to give some sort of advice for like a veteran, uh, whether it be a new veteran or an old veteran or anything like that, that's going through some hard times right now, especially with the COVID and stuff like that. If you had to get any advice or any words of wisdom, sort of speak to that person that may help. Yeah. Out. Yeah. You know, Dave, it's hard because most yeah. of us veterans are stubborn. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, it's like, I got this. We, I got, I'm fine. Yep. I got it. So if there's any advice, this is to, you know, try to look in the mirror and say, you know, you don't got this. No. It's okay. It's perfect because I'm, you know, I'm a fire chaplain now too. Yep. And one of the teams I'm on is CISM, okay. Critical Incident Stress Management. It actually started with the military. You know, it's to hopefully to either mitigate or prevent PTSD because firefighters go through the same crap yeah. emotionally. Yep. And stress-wise, the military guys do. And so we try to tell them, look, guys, um, take care of each other. Yep. Repeat, take care of each other. Take care of each other. Look, and when you ask a guy how you're doing, mean it. say it twice. Because the first time is a greeting. Yeah. The second time you look at me and I go, how are you doing? And most of us say it's still fine, but at least it gives that guy that veteran, the opportunity to look at you back in the eye, because you've got credentials, you know, you, right. you've been there and to say, well, you know, I'll tell you the truth, things are tough with the wife or I lost my job or I can't, I'm drinking right. too much, whatever it is. So, so number one is take care of each other. Number two is take care of yourself. And that's the hardest thing to do because most of us are go-to guys. You know, yeah. if the family's looking for some help, you're the go-to guy. Yep. You know, uh, they need a truck to help move or they need some help uh, changing the storm windows. And you're the go. So you get used to that yep. and you get proud of that. You know, I'm the go to guy. But sometimes your plate is so full, you know, uh, you got family stuff, work stuff. You got vet uh, stuff, you got whatever, you know, you, that you don't take care of yourself. So we tell these firefighters, I don't care what you do. Take at least one hour a day. Yeah. Every day. And step back and tell everybody around you, I need some time. Yeah. It's self-care. And because every one of us has something we enjoy doing. And usually it's something we can control. You know, some guys are good at the computer uh, or even a computer game or something because it has a beginning and an end and, and, and you can control it. Some guys have hobbies where they make stuff, yep. you know, their carpentry or, or whatever. And it just, it's just, it's such a release, you know. Um, I have several because I'm into boating now. Got a, a partner with a sailboat. And uh, oh, even when you're working on it in the winter, when it's on the dry dock, working on the boat, sailing the boat. And I like music too. I play a rudimentary guitar and sometimes yep. you just sit down and play. So something, take care of yourself. <laughs> My dear veterans, you know, take care of each other. Find somebody you can trust, you can talk to, and then take care of yourself. Those are kind of the two things that we try to uh, stress with the uh, firefighters. And the other thing is, 
there are resources. Yeah. Way, way more than we had in the 60s and 70s and 80s. Yep. There's an abundance of high, high quality resources to keep you mentally healthy, you know? Yep. And so drop this, you know, armor that says, I got it. I can handle this. I'm fine. Drop that. Yep. Give somebody a call. And and it's not not hard to find. I mean, they're they're, they're out there. You probably have ways to connect with people. Yep. Um, you know, the resources are out there. Um, I talk to people. I got somebody I talk to. You know, yep. um, it took me a while to 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 let this uh, you know arrogance fall off of me to say, you know, I might just need some help. And I'm relatively healthy. I mean, I went yeah. through 23 years relatively unscathed because every the only combat tour I have is the Gulf War, but that was after the boats were flying. Right. You know, so I never had to hold a buddy in my arms that was bleeding to death. Right. You know, I never got blown up with a Humvee, you know, type of thing. Yeah. So I, I came through 23 years as an infantry and special forces relatively unscathed, but everybody has scars. I don't care. Yep. Even if you're not in the military, everybody has some stress that causes trauma. So. So, uh, and it's normal. Yep. It's absolutely normal. You know, you came out of some situations that, you know, most people don't come out of. Well, you know, you need, you need some help. <laughs> you yep. need some help. It's so a, take care of each other and take care of yourself. That's, that's sort of what I would say. Yep. And it's, it's and you can agree with this too. Um, it's an amazing feeling once you, whatever you're holding on to, like you're saying, like, you know, I got this, I got this, but once you release it, you know, your day to day after that instantly changes. Once you once you make it known that like hey I'm going through unbelievable. this, it's it's, it's amazing. Unbelievable. It's yeah. it's like somebody take a fifty pound rock off your back. Yep. You know yep. it's like oh that's what I'm supposed to. You're absolutely right. That yep. it's 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 terrific. The other thing I I prescribed is is exercise. Um, yep. I'm still I work out four days a week. I'm still in not not the greatest shape like I was in my thirties, but I'm still. For a 72 year old guy, I'm, I can probably do more push ups than most of us, you know, type of thing. Yep. And, and that, anyone will tell you that physical exercise creates these chemicals that go on in your brain that help to restore your mental health. So, yep. so any, no matter what shape you're in, everybody, almost, almost everybody can walk. Almost right. everybody can do some kind of movement exercise. And, and my, my guidance is, Get to the point where you're breathing hard. Right. Right. But, absolutely. You know, you know, the body was made to be in motion. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, I just want to say thanks for that. And uh, thanks for being on the show. And, you know, if there's any listeners out there that, you know, like Toby said, you wanted to get something off your chest or something like that, but you're, you know, there's, unfortunately, there's that, that, that stigma that you're weak and stuff like that. So you don't want to, you know, talk to anybody that's near you. You can absolutely reach out to this, uh, you know, Mission 22 at 1-800-273-8255, hit option one, and talk to a stranger. And, you know, if if you're going through something, I challenge you to call that number and get it off your chest. And I guarantee you, after a few days of just getting it off your chest, you're going to be a 100% better person. And, you know, and if you're in a place where, you know, it's loud or, you don't actually want to physically talk to someone, you know, you can text the same people at 838-255. And there are other veterans too, you know, they're not going to give you a bunch of doctor terms and stuff like that. They're going to be down to earth with you. 
and they're going to help you through whatever you're going through, whether it's big, whether it's small, but it's obviously something that's bothering you and you need to get it off your chest to be a better person. And don't worry about that stigma. And, you know, listeners, you know, you got to get a hold of, uh, I'm going to put it in the link. I'm going to put Toby's, uh, I'm going to give a link to Toby's book uh, in the show description. So that way you guys, you know, my listeners can get out there and get your book. It's I very... think you'll enjoy it. Uh, people enjoy it. It, it yep. definitely has a, uh, a military ring, definitely yep. has a, a Christian ring. And, yep. you know, there's a resource, I'll text it to you, Dave, uh, in Southwark. I don't yep. know if you've heard, it's called the Empowerment Center. It's actually located in uh, Agawam, but the headquarters is Southwick. And I'll send you the link. Um, I okay. don't have the name of it. Oh, One Call Away. That's One Call Away. One okay. Call Away. One Call Away. And the uh, the founder is David Sutton. And he's an old friend of mine from the uh, time I was head to church in Southwick. And One Call Away. They have a Facebook page and they have a, a, a website. They have a tremendous list of resources. Uh, they've got a warehouse full of food and toys and stuff. Oh, outstanding. You know, for, for veterans. And they also have a, 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 a care organization for guys that are financially strapped or emotionally strapped or just, you know, at the end of their wits. Uh, they've actually ta- taught some people literally off the edge. Wow. You know, it's not exactly a suicide hotline, but it's a bunch of people you can trust. So yep. I'll, I'll send you the link to that, and I'll hook you up with Dave. And uh, I think you guys would enjoy meeting each other and talking. Absolutely, absolutely. And it's and you know you know Toby, it's it's as I'm doing these podcasts, and I'm learning about more of these organizations out there. Sure, it's, it's kind of it's almost saddening. Um, I you know you're talking Southwick. I live in the town right next to it, and I've never heard of this one call away. You know, and I live right right next door to that city. And as I'm doing this, I'm finding out more organizations out there that are helping people. And I'm definitely trying to get the word out there for everybody. So thank you for that. And yeah, you know, yeah, oh, you, you'll enjoy him. He, he's, uh, you know, he's he's got his own company. He's an HVAC guy. Okay. And HVAC guys, I have a great respect for them because they they got to know a lot of stuff. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> you know, they got to know the. The engineering and and the science behind the the, the heating system, but most of them know a little carpentry, a little plumbing, you know, a little electrical, you know, and uh, and Dave's real good at it. Uh, And he's when I lived at Huntington, he was my guy there, too. So but uh, he's he just has uh, put a lot of heart and time and soul into this uh, one call away. I think they're probably I don't know. I don't know how many years old, maybe five or six years old, but they've really grown. They have they they've actually been offered uh, the fireman's parade in in Southwick, which is a pretty big deal. Yeah, and uh, of course, this last year they couldn't have it, but but uh, so they have a big event there, uh, and there's a there's a ball field in Southwick with all kind of they had all kind of uh, booths and food and entertainment and stuff at the end of the parade. So they they've really uh, grown and they've helped out so many women and men that that. that so yeah absolutely well, organization well thank you again for that toby and uh for the listeners like i said i'm going to put a link to your book in the in the show description and your youtube channel there and uh you know and the phone numbers like i always do in every episode the phone numbers will be there for right. people um well dave i want to thank you so much you're, yep. you're doing a great job yep. and i know you're a, a dedicated veteran and a high energy guy and 
And uh, this is a this is a very good project that you've got, and uh, you know it's going to grow. Yep. And uh, good for you for doing this. I think it's going to be a big help. Thank you. Yeah, I I started this because I was, uh, you know, I started this in, 20, in the ending of 2019, and and my first episode, I was kind of just sitting there, and I was in a mood. You know, I was kind of like, I was in a in a crappy mood, and I was like, yeah. I started this podcast, and I tell you, ever since then, I can't get enough of this thing, and I'm very. You know, it's all I talk about and stuff like that at well, here, work. By the way, yep. I don't mean to interrupt you, but by the way, in all of these 12-step programs, yep. you know what I mean? That last step is help somebody else. And that's very therapeutic. Yep. Sometimes, you, I know dealing with my veterans at the soldiers' home, sometimes they just can't get over that hump. But once you start caring for someone and helping out someone else, it's just... Like you said, it's it's like taking that fifty pound rock off your. It lifts you up. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and, and you, sometimes I wonder. Well, thanks for being. You know, thanks for what you're doing. I'm saying, I think I'm getting more out of this than the people <laughs> I'm helping. You know, so yeah, that, that's that's understandable, Dave. It's good to see. Yep. Well, thank you again, Toby. Listeners, thank you for for tuning in, and uh, you know, uh, stay tuned for the outro. All right. Well, uh, thank you so much. Also, thanks. Yep. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land, we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Freedom and the dignity of the individual have been more available and assured here than in any other place on earth. The price for this freedom at times has been high, but we have never been unwilling to pay that price. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery with its row upon row of simple white markers bearing crosses or stars of David. They add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom.